Good morning, Rock family. It's good to see you. Those that are visiting us for the first time or those joining us down uh, in the youth room or those joining us on live stream or watching later, it's good to see you. My name is Rob and I serve as one of the pastors here. And so we're very excited that you're here at, at The Rock. So before we get into a, a, a few things uh, concerning the Word of God, I want to just uh, give you a couple of announcements. First and foremost, uh, and Fred will bring this up too, we have man camp this weekend. And so I think there are a couple of slots left. So if you want to come, please uh, sign up, look at your weekly uh, email, or if you need the, the web address, we'll help you and we'll get you signed up for that as well. Uh, we have Easter that's coming up real soon on April 17th, and we're going to have a special Easter breakfast during the Sunday school hour, and then we'll have a regular church service at, at 1030 uh, that morning. And I know that's different than what, we, what we've done in the past. So this year, just that's the change. Uh, Sunday school, we'll have breakfast. And then at 1030, we'll have our normal service. And I wanted to say anything. If you're here today and this is your first time here or you have a, a specific prayer request or, or you have to update an address or anything, we have connection cards. They're out by where you got the bulletins. They're at the information desk. They're on these little pillars that are around the building. Pick one up, fill it out. You can drop it in the offering box that are in the back there. If this is your first time here and you want us to know Know that I know sometimes we say, hey, let us know that you're here and you think we're stalking you. We're not stalking you. The only information that we want on that connect card is your name, your address, social security number, bank account. No, I mean, it's not, it's not that much. It's not that much. You, here, do this. Put as much as you feel comfortable with, but at least give us one mode of communication so we can say, hey, thanks for coming. And we'll sweeten the pot. Literally, if you want to let us know that you were here and you want more information about The Rock, go to the information desk after church, which means one of our leaders needs to go to the information desk as well. And we have mugs. And they're not, I mean, they're not like the, the big travel mugs. It's a nice mug and it says Solid Rock on it. But more importantly, there's candy inside of that mug. So I am bribing you to fill out that connection card. And if you've been a member for 20 years, don't go up to the desk and say, hey, this is my first time here. And we're going to say, yeah, we know you missed four weeks in a row. But no, just, you know what I mean? Like, you know if you're supposed to go up there, if you're not supposed to go up there. But we want to say, thank you for, for trying us out today. And if you're watching online, um, yeah, I, I'm the ugly guy that usually preaches. And it's, it's not that bad. It's only about 45 minutes, all right? Uh, let's get our Bibles. We're going to open to John chapter 6, and we'll stand in a few minutes. I just want to kind of update us on where we are in this series. Uh, we've been talking over the signs or the miracles that Jesus has been um, publicly demonstrating. And for the most part, they weren't on the biggest scale of people. They were to individuals. And the, the purpose of these miracles and the purpose of these signs was to introduce what Jesus really came to do. And so all of these miracles, all of these signs, not only point to the fact that Jesus Christ is God and he has the power to heal, but also the power to forgive. And so you'll see that these physical, these tangible uh, miracles were all for us to realize that Jesus was always looking for something deeper something uh, more, uh, more, more freeing than just having a disability taken care of or, or more free than having your, your relationship restored or, or more free than just having a, somebody, a, a kid who is dying literally uh, come back up to life. The point was for us to know that Jesus Christ came to solve the biggest issue that you and I have and that's to take care of our sin. Because with our sin, with the things that we say, the things that we think, and the things that we do that displease God, we are separated from God the Father. The, the Bible literally says that we are enemies of God. 
And Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross and paying the price for our sin, makes us, and when we receive this gift of salvation and we receive this forgiveness of sins and we receive Jesus as our Savior, we now get translated from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And all of a sudden we go from eternal damnation in a place the Bible describes as a literal lake of fire, a literal hell, and now we get translated into a literal heaven. And so we go from eternal darkness, eternal death to eternal life. This is what Jesus came for. This is what we celebrate on Easter, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ showed that the death and the burial meant something. And Jesus Christ is our Savior when he rose again from the grave. And so these signs, these miracles that he did while he was on earth was all pointing to what he was going to do. And so we've spoken about water being turned into wine. We've spoken about an invalid being healed at a, at a place where he thought this pool would, would heal him. We saw a, a Samaritan woman, uh, even though that she had this very horrible reputation, she was so enraptured about the fact that Jesus Christ saved her. She goes into town and tells everybody who Jesus is. This is what Jesus came to do not only to give us a tangible, temporary expedient, but to give us an everlasting solution to our sin problem. And he became our savior. And so this is what we've been going over. And so now we're in John chapter six. And, and so before we get into the passage that we're gonna talk about, we'll start in verse 22. There are two big miracles that happen right before we get into our passage. And that's the feeding of the 5,000 and then the walking on water. And you say, well, Rob, how are we going to get through 59 verses? Well, we're going to skim through the first ones because hopefully you guys know the story. But I want, to, I want to do something different because this is one of the times that Jesus not only does a miracle, he spends a significant amount of time saying exactly what he was doing. He doesn't just do it and say, this is what this means. He does it and spends a bunch of time saying, this is why I did what I did. This is who I am. And so it's kind of like, you know, those of us who are parents, when we tell our kids to do something, what is the penultimate uh, question they always ask us? Why, right? And what is that boss parent answer? Because I said so, right? You know, it's becoming harder for me to give my kids that answer. They don't, I don't think they've ever liked that answer, but now, I mean, David's bigger than me now, right? Like, it's like, I can't go to the guy and go, because I said so, right? And hopefully he doesn't do something to me, right? He also is my barber, which means he could mess up my hair at any time, right? I mean, it's, it, he, there's a lot of things that my kid, they know where I sleep. They know how to, two, two of them are learning how to drive. Like, I'm not in that spot anymore that because I said so is going to do anything for me. Lauren, maybe, but if you've met Lauren, she He's like, you know, almost 13 going on 28. So it's like none of my kids are going to listen to because I said so. And by the way, you're in the same boat, so don't think you're some super parent. They're going to stop listening to your I said so in a little bit as well. What, what do we do when they say, well, 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 why? And we go, because I said so. And they say, that's not good enough. And then we have to formulate an answer. And then we have to kind of come up with a, a solution as to how are we still their parent, but we're still going to explain to them what's going on, Right. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. 
A lot of times he's doing these signs. A lot of times he's doing these miracles and he's just doing them and people are getting healed. But now as we see these disciples learning and now as Jesus feels that, that, that they are not only growing in their walk but also are going to go out and actually share what Jesus is doing, he decides in John chapter 6 to give them a little bit more insight for them to understand. And I think the, the, the big thing that I want you to see today is this. I, I, I hope and I pray that you and I stop always seeking tangible miracles and receive the greater miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ. I, I think some of us always want to see the show and we never get into a real relationship with Jesus. And I think this is a pivot that a lot of us may have to make, that it's not about whether we feel good doing worship. It's not whether or not the church helps us out. It's about whether you have a relationship, a personal one with Jesus Christ. And so we want to talk about what it means when we talk about the faith and we talk about the atonement of Jesus. And so we're going to mention the first two miracles. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened and then we're going to get into our, our passage. Okay, so let, let, let's read first so we get through that. So let's all stand. Let's go to uh, John chapter 6, verse 22, and we'll read down to verse 29, uh, 59. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus or his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me because you, not, you, because you saw, the, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that will last for eternal life, which is the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you believe in me, and yet you do not believe in me. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have not come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started, to, started complaining about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? 
Jesus answered them, stop complaining amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's listened to, everyone who has listened to and, and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is the true food and my, my blood is the true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remind, remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manner that your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. So I, that's a mouthful, what Jesus said there. And, and the passage is funny because it, it, it's, a real, it's a very simple topic that he talks about. He talks about the bread of life. He talks about the idea of faith in Jesus and what this, what this concept of atonement is all about. And so we'll, we'll get into what he's talking about, but we have to set the context from verse 1 down to verse 21 of exactly what happened. And like I said, two major miracles happen at the beginning of this chapter, the feeding of 5,000 plus people and also the walking on water. So we'll take both of those things. And if you want to look over uh, verse 1 uh, down to verse 21, you'll see where, where we're going. The first miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. So at, at this point, Jesus has been uh, having crowds to come see him. And these crowds would travel to come see Jesus. They'd find out where he was. Sometimes he would have to like leave because he wants to be alone. He wants to pray. He wants to recoup. He wants to teach his disciples on, on a more personal level. But there were times that many people would just find out where Jesus is and they would just come. There was no scheduled time that he would say, hey, I'm going to be here at this time or whatever. He, they, he would just be there. They would see him and, and they would come and people would follow. And one of the instances that he was there, and this was common, he would have thousands of people there. And when the Bible talks about thousands of people, some passages say we're talking about 5,000 men, but it talks about men, women, and children being fed. So in all intents and purposes, these crowds were in excess of 5,000 people. And these 5,000 people would, would come, they would travel a long distance, and they would sit, and they would forget whatever they're doing for the day, and they would come and they would listen to Jesus, and Jesus would, would speak, and he would teach him about what? What was Jesus's assignment here on earth? He was born to die for our sins, but while he was on earth, what did he do? He lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years. He was tempted in, in, in every point that we were, but he never sinned once. But he also did what? He taught us about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. That's what he did while he was on earth. And so he would, he would tell us about the king. He would say things like the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of the world is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And he would speak in parables. He would speak. Uh, he would bring the Old Testament 
Testament to life and say how it was now being fulfilled in what he was doing and people were listening, people were getting closer to Jesus, some believed, and, and, and all these things that, that were happening, they were there, but at the time that they were going to finish up or take a break, everybody was hungry. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a conference or a retreat or even a concert where like they, they promised that there would be food and then when, when you realize it's time to eat, you're wondering where the food is, right? Have you ever sat for a while and then you realize, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just hungry at this point. Like I can't listen anymore. And then some of us, we have like the, the, the tendency not to just to get hungry, but to get hangry. And when we get hangry, whether because of a drop in blood sugar or because that's just the way we are, that's our excuse for being angry that day. We just say we're hangry. Like either we get a Snickers or it's going to be DEFCON 4, right? Like we're going we're, to be horrible. And so it was at this moment, and not only that, you got to think about culture as well. One of the things that's very similar between my Hispanic culture and Tony's Italian culture is that we immediately, if there's any kind of event, we don't run out of what, Tony? Never run out of food. I don't, we don't care if there's 10. We don't care if there's 1,000. We're not going to run out of food. Even though only 10 people RSVP'd, we're making food for 100 because we're not going to run out of food. That's the way it is. And Jewish culture is a lot the same way. You have invited. Like, remember, these people were in, in, invited. They were invited by people saying, hey, come and see. This man told me everything that, 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 was, that I knew about myself. And then they all show up. And part of the culture was to make sure that these people were fed. And, and so they were like, what, how are we going to feed all these people? They're getting hungry. They're getting restless. Like, what's, what's going to happen? And so the disciples go and they ask the question, how are we going to feed? And then Jesus says, well, what do we have? You know, yeah ask these questions to, for them to start thinking about, you know, wh what is more important or, or remembering who they're with. Like, remember, they're with, they're with the Son of God. If there's food that needs to happen, remember, God provided, and they talk about it later in the passage, manna. If there needs to be food, God can provide food, but they just didn't get that yet. And sometimes we're the exact same way. We know who Jesus is. We're in a personal relationship with Jesus. But when the going gets tough, sometimes we forget what Jesus can accomplish in our life. And so this is where they are. They don't know what to ask. They, all they know is, hey, we got this kid here. He has, he has some bread. He has some fish. He has enough for, for food for him. He came prepared, right? Mom gave him the Tupperware. You know, he came with food for the day. Nobody else came prepared. Like, think about it. In the crowd of everybody that was there, only one kid had a mom that said, hey, bring food. Right? And not only that, he brought loaves and fishes. He didn't bring crackers. He didn't bring, a, he didn't bring a snack pack. He didn't bring a Lunchable. He brought enough food for the day. His mom was probably Hispanic or Italian, for sure. I mean, whenever, whenever my mom, I mean, my mom was so thankful for school lunches because my mom, she, she always, when she would pack me a lunch, she couldn't just pack enough for me, you know, because I'm a growing boy, you know? Thanks, mom. You know, so she would, so it'd have to be, you know, uh, leftover rice and beans and pork chop from the night before. Like my, my, my food, people would have it in a sack or a lunch. Mine had to be refrigerated in the teacher's lounge. You know what I'm saying? Like she gave me a whole meal. It's surprising that my mom didn't give me like silverware and some like, you know, some, some salad dressing and stuff like that. You know, she, she made sure that wh wherever we went, that there was enough food for us. So my mom loved school meals because she didn't have to worry about that anymore. This mom cared about the kid. She brings him loaves and fishes, enough for him to eat. And so he very willingly says, hey, I, I got this. And the disciples go back to Jesus. Okay, here's what we have. 
bread and fish, enough for one person. What are we going to do with this? They forget. This is Jesus. So Jesus says this, hey, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to pray and just start dividing it out. And I can just see, you know, Judas is scared. Who's that, who's that, who's that counter? Who's that conniving guy going, all right, we got that. I'm like, how small is this bread going to be that we're going to have to give everybody out, out of these, these loaves and these fishes? Like how much? This is going to be smaller than a sampler. It's going to be less than an hors d'oeuvre. Will they even be able to see the fish and the bread about how small this is going to be? And they're still thinking earthly. And so Jesus prays. And they start dividing the food. And not only is everyone fed, Jesus goes, hey, gather the rest. And when he gathers the rest, there's enough for 12 baskets. And so this word, and this is just, I mean, this is kind of more of that geek nerdy thing I want to share with you. Because, you know, I studied Greek for so long, but I want to share with you because it's actually pretty cool. That word for basket is the same word that's used for when the Apostle Paul was lowered down uh, the window because they were going to kill him. And so it's the size of a basket that a human being can fit into. Twelve of those. So Jesus performs this miracle that everyone is going to eat. And even though there are thousands of people there, we don't know. Just like the marriage of Cana, we don't know how many people knew that there wasn't any food. All they knew is that they came, they heard, and they were fed, and there was enough for everybody, right? And doesn't that just sound like our Jesus? He came and gives us everything that we need, and then he gives us abundantly as well. And so he shows them that he is able to provide for them physically Food. So then the second uh, miracle right off after that is Jesus walking on water. And we, and we know the story of this. You know, Jesus, the disciples are with the boat. Uh, they don't know what's going on. They're, they're scared about a storm. And then Jesus walks on water. He calms the storm. And they have this incredible moment, um, you know, of, of, of Jesus walking on water. And then uh, Peter going out. And, and, you know, when he's looking at Jesus, he's fine. When he's not, he's sinking all these things happen, and every gospel has a different account of how this went down. But these are two huge miracles right before Jesus is going to do some teaching. And, 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 and the, the connection I want to make between the first 21 verses and then 22 to 59 is this. Here's the question I want to ask you. Are you, are you more inclined to want and need Jesus to show you his power through a tangible event, like a healing or a miracle or controlling the weather? Or are you at the place finally in your walk that you're more concerned about what the word of God has to teach you? Because there's a lot of flash. There's a lot of greatness. There's a lot of glory when Jesus shows up and heals, when Jesus shows up and provides, when Jesus shows you who he is. But I'm telling you, you are missing the boat if you don't understand that the word of God can rock your world, that it can change your life, that the only thing that has ever mattered between you and Jesus, what you did with Jesus, and how do you learn about Jesus through his word? Because here you may be healed and you may thank this generic God or you may thank this generic idea of who Jesus is and you may have even heard of the Spirit so you thank him too. But you don't know the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit and how that relates to you and the issue that you have with having sin in your heart and in your life. 
until you get into the word of God. And so this is the day that I want you to really think about it. Is it about the signs and the wonders or is it about what the word of God says about Jesus? Because the difference is literally death and life. Because you can, you can experience something grand and miss the boat about what God is trying to do. And so after these two signs, we pick up our portion of scripture and, and there's a little bit more narrative. The next day after what happens, after the feeding of the 5,000, after the walking on water, what happens? The crowd stayed on the other side of the sea and they only saw one boat. And when they saw Jesus had not boarded the boat with the disciples, the disciples went off alone. And some of the boats from Tiberias came near the place when they had eaten the bread after the Lord and give it thanks. And when the, and the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So they, they go out, they, they see that Jesus isn't with them. And, and, and so they start looking for Jesus and they go naturally where they think Jesus would be, that he would be in Capernaum because that's where uh, his, his hub was. That's where his missionary base was. That's where he started everything. It's where most of his disciples uh, originated from, that area. So they go to Capernaum. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? All right, so, they were, so he was supposed to, in their minds, go with the disciples on the boat to get to the other side of, of, of the sea. But then they were like, man, he's not with them. All right, well, let's go see anyway. Maybe he'll show up later that day. And so they go to Capernaum, and Jesus is already there. Again, just like the bread, just like the fish, they forget that Jesus is above these elemental things. Jesus doesn't. The guy walked on water. Why would he need a boat? If Jesus wasn't there, like they, they're, they're looking for Jesus in the most tangible, realistic places, forgetting who he is. And so when they're looking for Jesus, they're like, man, he's not with his, well, he'll, he'll show up sometime. So they go up, go back to where he'll probably show up and he's already there. And this is not one of those things where Jesus found a faster boat or a faster route because, you know, seas are usually like, you know, circles, you know, so it's not really like a faster way to go. You either get there or you don't get there. It's kind of like me and my wife. We, we race each other home when we have two cars. And my wife swears she always has the fastest way. And she's right. Every time, we can go somewhere the exact, and I'm so stubborn, I will keep going home the same way that I always go. And she'll keep going home the way she always goes. And she always beats me home like by like two minutes. I don't know if she's speeding. Thank God the cop's not here anymore, right, guys? I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is, but she always gets there fast. And this is not, but this is not one of those things. This is not like, oh, Jesus just made it there faster than because he found a faster boat. No, Jesus just got there the way, the way God gets anywhere. He just got there. It doesn't say he teleported. It doesn't say how he did it, but he was there when they got there and they asked him, hey, Rabbi, how'd you get here? And so now he uses this, this question to bring up the entire point of what he's trying to say. And he says in verse 26, truly, I say to you, you are looking for me, but look, he gets them. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So that's, that's actually a pretty astute thing for us to really think about for a second. Why, why do we follow Jesus? It's not because we understand the signs. Like it's not, like when someone, like when we ask for healing, right, and Jesus heals us, do we ask Jesus why? Or what's the bigger point to this? 
No. All we know is that the doctor gave us a death sentence and now we don't have one. I mean, that's, <laughs> okay, problem solved. We're good, right? And so sometimes the reason why we follow Jesus is because of the tangible things that he does. Like do what? Feed us. And that we were filled. We found something physically attractive about what you did for us. Therefore, we're going to follow. So it's not about the signs or the reason why. Why do we as human beings follow God a lot of the times? Because of what? What he does for us. Right? And you don't have to be overly ashamed about that because we all do it. And sometimes Jesus actually gives it to us to do what? For us to continue to hear what he's going to say. Sometimes God heals you to continue the conversation. So it's not bad to be, to be happy that you were filled. But Jesus doesn't want you to miss the point as to why he filled you. So let's look at verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So now, now Jesus starts to teach him what he's trying to say. Hey, this is, this is where you currently are at. And I love, I love that the Son of God, I love that the Word of God tells us where we're at in our life. This is why we're doing what we do. This is our current condition. Aren't you thankful? If you know Jesus today, aren't you thankful that God showed you that you were a sinner that needed a savior? Even though we all know we've sinned, to get it to that next level, for us to understand that without him, that we would spend an eternity separated from him, thank God he told us where we, where we were. And so he tells us where we are, that we're not really looking at the signs. What we're really looking at is the fact that we were filled and that's why we're following. So then he says, this is his gentle rebuke to us. He says this, hey, here, here's a better way. Don't work for food that's going to be washed up anyway. The, the, those, those, 12 low, those 12 baskets of, of bread and fish... If it's not eaten up, God didn't put some like, like spiritual preservative on them so like we can worship the baskets and go, oh, wow, they're still here to this day. No. Though that bread and that fish and that someone eats it is going to rot and going to get moldy. Don't work primarily for stuff that's going to go away. And I think about this in, in just the, the, the bigger terms of our life. What are we working for in our life? Are we working for things that, that just to exist? Are we, are, we, are we asking God to take care of us just so that we can continue to exist? Or do we realize more important than our, that, our, that our mortal existence here on earth is our eternal existence after we die? What is more important? Because what we think about eternity affects how we do everything else. Do you realize that? If we don't think that there's eternal life, if Jesus Christ is not our Savior, if we still have questions about what eternal life is all about, it is such a convoluted, unsecure way to live. And so because we have kind of have this insecurity over here, we focus on the, the, the perishable, the stuff that's just everyday, the stuff that's going to wash up and burn away one day. We're spending all of our time working on those things. And so why does God say spend our time working on eternal life or figuring that out? Why? Because Jesus Christ will give us eternal life. And why will Jesus Christ give us eternal life? Because God God the Father has approved him to do so. Hey, 
if you're under the sound of the word of God today and something is telling you right now to listen to what the word of God is saying about eternal life, I'm telling you, if you ask Jesus to save you, he'll do it right now because God the Father told him to. This is a guarantee from God the Father. If you call on Jesus right now because he's calling on you to do so, he will save you right now. Let's look at verse 28. So they ask a question. And, you know, guys, it's good to ask questions. It's not bad to ask questions. So the question that they ask is, what can we do to perform the works of God? Now, it's bad to ask the wrong question, though. Right? You know how somebody says there's no stupid questions? Oh, there are a lot of stupid questions. There are a ton of stupid questions, right? And sometimes, sometimes you have to say a stupid question for you to realize how stupid you're being with that question, right? So that's why you just ask the question. And their question is, how can we perform the works of God? And so what are they asking? What do they want to do? What are they focusing on? How can we get more of this bread? How can we make this bread? I will never have to go to DG again if I can make my own food, right? Lord, how do I make, how, how do I make Reese's pieces just appear whenever I need them to? God, how can I do, how can I do that? Their, their, their minds are wondering, hey, man, yeah, man, the bread and the fish, this is the work of God. Let me get into that work. Like, I want to get into that. And Jesus goes, here's the work of God. And they go, all right, yes, here's the work of God, that you believe in the one that, belief, we're talking about bread, Why are you talking about this spiritual stuff, Jesus? Because this is what it comes down to. Jesus, again, is trying to push them back to where they need to be. It's not about the physical bread. He goes, the work of God is that you believe in the one he sent. So how do we get filled? By eating more bread. No, not exactly. How do we get filled? By believing in the one who made the bread. Why are we so caught up in worshiping the creation over the creator? Why are we so caught up in always wanting to find something that we can see and hear and touch instead of realizing that God has something bigger for us than that? Why are we so worried about the days on our calendar instead of worrying about the eternal life or eternal death that we have? Believe in the one that he sent. This is how... This is the work of God. This is the work that God has for us. God God doesn't want us to be able to perform the same flashy signs that God does. God wants you to believe in the one who does the signs. So verse 30, okay, and and no, let's go back. What sign then? Okay, so now they're asking questions, maybe not as dumb as the first one, but it's still there, right? What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? What are you going to perform? Hey, Jesus, what are you going to do next? Honestly, does Jesus have to dance for you? Does Jesus have to do like a little two-step for us to believe? Are you serious? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus our like little genie? Is this Aladdin? What, what are we talking about here? Well, what are you going to do next, Jesus? What kind of convoluted, rude question to ask the Son of God? Hey, you know what? You ask him it every day, so watch yourself. You do it all the time. We all do. We always say, hey, God, what are you going to do next? Well, God, we got a good harvest this year. Can't wait to see what you're going to do next year, God. Well, that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Yeah. But if you're somebody who only asks God to take care of your business without taking care of your spiritual life, you're still up the creek without a paddle. You realize that, right? 
Don't just get spiritual when you need God to take care of your economy. Or do you have a relationship with God or are you just asking him to perform all the time so that you'll believe? If your belief in God depends on how he performs for you, he's not God. He's a genie. What sign? What sign? Hey, yes, Lord, we want to believe in you. We, we do, we do. We really want to believe in you. So what are you going to do to show us? What's the problem with that? What do, you, what do we know about our human nature that, that, that makes that a really ridiculous thing to ask the Son of God? What are you going to do now to show us that you're God? What are you going to show us? The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And that's how the, 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 the founders of our faith, that's how the, the, the patriarchs, that, that's how everyone that's gone before us in the word of God, that, all the church fathers, that's how they knew they had a relationship with God and how we know they had a relationship with God is because they believed in something they couldn't see. So the problem is sometimes we're always looking for things tangible. And you will go, well, Rob, is it bad to ask that God, you know, straightens out my kid? Is it, God, is it bad to ask God that to, to provide for my family? No, all those things are good. But if that's the only thing you ask God for, you don't have a relationship with God. You're just, you think God's a vending machine. How do you know to ask God to talk to your kids? How do you know to ask God to, to provide for your family? How do you know to ask God for healing? Because you found it in the word of God. And so if the only time we're opening this book is to get God to fix something, we don't have a relationship with God. We just want God to perform for us. How sacrilegious is that statement? God performing for us. What are we going to do? Give God a performance review at the end of the year? We're going to call God in, have him sit on a couch. We go, hey, God, let's see how you did for me this year. Would we ever do that? No, we would never say that, but that's how we act. So he says to believe. This is the work of God. They say, okay, so what are you going to do? What are you going to perform? Now let's look at Jesus' answer. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it's written. Did we miss a verse? Yeah. Jesus replied, this is the work of God. You believe in the one who sent. What sign are you going to give us? And then we're in verse 31, right? Okay. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it's written. He gave them bread to eat for from heaven to eat. Okay, so Jesus answered in probably, the, I, mean, I mean, obviously the way that we're supposed to answer every question, he gives them the word of God. The Bible says that someone is going to come, this Messiah is going to come, and he's going to give them bread or food to eat from heaven. Okay, so Jesus, again, is bringing them back. Remember, these signs, these wonders are for what? For us to realize that Jesus is who he says he is. And now he's tying it into what the Old Testament says, that he's going to give them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus says, I truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the, the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life, life to this world. And then verse 34, they say, sir, give us this bread Always. And then Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. All right, so now the, the rubber meets the road. They say, okay, 
what sign are you going to perform? And he goes, hey, just like the Bible says, your ancestors heard this, that someone is going to come and they're going to give them food, bread from heaven. And he goes, and, and, and Moses, you know, the manna that was given during his time, that was miraculous. I mean, food coming down from heaven, right? But even that food was either consumed or went away, right? So what's the, what, what is this, this next level type of manna that, that now you're offering that's better than what Moses offered? And Jesus says, the one who takes of this bread will be what? Never hungry again. And this bread that I'm offering is of eternal life. This, this is very similar to what he tells the Samaritan woman that he is what? The living water. That it's beyond this tangible thing. It goes on to what, to, to what really our spiritual life is, and that's the intangible. And he says, no, anybody who eats of this will live forever. And then, and then they go, okay, so give us this bread. We want to eat this bread forever. Still, they're still trying to link this spiritual thing with something that they can hold. And Jesus says, what in verse 35? I am the bread of life. I mean, if you can't get any more clearer than this, he goes, I'm the bread of life, and whoever the Father brings to me, I will never cast out. I will be with them forever. But as I told you, you see me and you don't believe me. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do what? The will of the one who sent me. Jesus says, this is why I came. This is what the bread of life is. I am offering you eternal life. And this is what Jesus is offering us this morning if you haven't received this gift. Jesus is the bread of life. Yes, Jesus wants to meet your physical needs. Yes, Jesus wants to do the miraculous for you. But the, main, the most important thing that Jesus has ever done for me, and anyone in this room who knows Jesus can testify, the biggest thing that Jesus Christ did for us is to save us from our sin and give us forgiveness and eternal life. This is what it's all about. Let's look at verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone that sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is even giving some, some future assurance of what's going to happen. This is the will of the Father, that I am the bread of life, and anyone who receives me will have eternal life. And not only that, if they die physically, they'll be raised up on the last day. Everyone who sees the Son and, and believes in him will have eternal life. He's saying, take me, take this relationship with me, this is what gives you eternal life. Let's look at verse 41. Therefore the Jews, okay, so now we got the grumbling Jews, right? So that's, before we get into that, now what, what do we know now? That Jesus Christ is stating that he is the one that can give eternal life, that he is the one that came down from heaven. And the Jews are upset that he's saying this because he says, I've come down from heaven. They're saying, isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph? Now he's saying he's from heaven. We know who his mom and dad are. Why would he say something like this? Let's look at the next verse. Jesus answered them, Stop grumbling amongst yourselves. Now, Jesus doesn't do this a lot. Jesus knows that people are saying things behind him, and sometimes he would answer in a parable. But this time he calls them out and goes, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him in the last day. So how does he answer the Jews that are grumbling? He gives them the word of God. Look at verse 45. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Look at the next verse. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. So he's saying this. Hey, it's not like God the Father is coming down because the Bible says that no man has seen God the Father at any time. So he's saying anybody that comes to me, you come to me because I have seen the Father. I'm the only one that has because I'm God the Son. Remember, John's whole gospel is to show his divinity, that he is not only 100% man but 100% God. And verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He says it again. Anyone who comes to me has eternal life. Why? Because Jesus is what? The bread of life. Jesus is better than anything tangible you can consume. Jesus is better than any uh, product you can buy. Jesus is better than any item you can own. Jesus is the one that gives us eternal life. And he says, hey, your ancestors, they even ate this really, this really neat spiritual, physical thing that happened that came down from heaven. This manna, bread, came down from heaven. They ate it, but they all croaked. So it wasn't enough. So this isn't some next level manna like they thought it was. This was more than bread. This is more than something tangible. This is something that's more important than manna. This is more important than the miracle of bread falling down from heaven. Your ancestors ate, they died. This is the bread that comes down from it so that anyone may eat of it and not die. So what's the difference? Manna was good for the moment, but still didn't take care of the sin and death issue. All right. So Jesus says again, I am the living bread, just like the living water. I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, what happens to these people? They'll live forever, right? This is where eternal life comes from. The bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. Now this is where it goes off the rails in their heads, right? Okay, so he's saying, like, is this some sort of analogy? He's the bread of life. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I mean, I don't understand it. Jews are upset that he's saying it. The people who are listening, his disciples, they're like, okay, he said it before. He offers eternal life. So he's like bread. He's better than the bread and the fish. He's better than all this. Okay, so he's like bread. It, it's intangible. But then Jesus says, but those who eat of this bread are going to eat my flesh. Right? So now, for those listening, the ones that they don't get it, it's just as if Jesus introduced cannibalism, right? There was actually an early church, the early church fathers, when they were trying to promote com uh, communion around the early church, that he was killing some of some pastors and church leaders, calling them heretics because they were promoting cannibalism because they would read this portion of scripture. So not, I mean, you know, let, let's give some people a break here. I mean, Jesus has went from saying, I'm the bread of life. Somebody who sees me, sees the Father, all that stuff. Then he goes, by the way, you got to eat me. And so they go, pause. Uh, 52. At that, that Jesus argued amongst themselves. This is the thing that they decided to be quiet about. You know what I'm saying? Like before, they're like, man, this guy, isn't this Joseph's son? But this one, they go, wouldn't you have gone, you said do What? But this one, they're like, what, what does he mean by the... Did, or maybe they're just going, did, did he just say, really? So look at verse 52. At that, the Jews argued amongst themselves, how can this man... Let me the next slide. I didn't get the rest of that. Okay, hold on. Verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Half of me sounds like they're like okay with it. They're just like, hey, so how do we do this? Like, are we going to cut it up? Is it served bite size? How does this work, right? It's like, how, how is this guy going to do this, right? So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So now he's using phrases like the ones who feed on me, right? Like, like how, how does... Like, I, you have to give them a little bit of grace because he just now saying, okay, so I'm the bread of life. And now he talks about now you have to eat my flesh. We're looking back. We know exactly what he's talking about, that the body is going to be broken for us. The blood is going to be shed for us. And we have to receive what he's done for us, right? We get that. This is why we celebrate communion. It's to remember Jesus' body and his, and his blood. But for them, they're hearing it for the first time and they don't understand. And then verse 58 says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manner your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Now, okay, so I want you to think back because what he says is not only in line with everything else he says, you miss it at first glance if you don't realize he's always said that he's the bread of life. So he's always in essence has said, you have to consume me. You're the bread of life. And then the question is, and because they weren't, they weren't getting this, this, for them it was this high lofty, uh, just like hypothetical thing. He goes, okay, you want me to go bare bones? You have to eat my flesh and drink my butt. And that kind of got them all like, what? But he's still saying the same thing. He's saying you have to receive the life that comes from what? My flesh and my blood. My blood has to be shed. You have to receive what I'm going to do for you on the cross. My body has to be tortured. You have to receive that bread of life. He's saying in order for you to have eternal life, you have to receive what Jesus Christ is going to do for you. And for us, looking back now in the Bible, we receive what Jesus Christ has already done for us. We have this unique and wonderful privilege of being believers and readers and, and people who are seeking God. After the New Testament was already written, we know the story. So by the grace of God, you are sitting in a room and getting to read all the way through what the Bible says to know. When he's talking about flesh and blood, he's talking about his body and blood that was going to be broken and shed for us. And so all that Jesus requires for us to have this eternal life is to recognize that he already paid the price for the things that I did yesterday, the things I'll do today, and the things I'll do tomorrow. And all we need to do is receive the gift that he's already done for us. Thank you.